Welcome to In Conversation. I'm Max Maldonado. In Conversation features Dean Michael Horswell and faculty from Florida Atlantic University's Dorothy F. Schmidt College of Arts and Letters, talking about research and creative activities that span the arts, humanities, and social sciences. Art has often been humanity's way of documenting culture, expressing individuality, and communicating with a form other than words. In Professor Carol Prusa's case, her art is an extension of her philosophy, one that she formed early in life. In my childhood, when I was in sixth grade, I would look out the window way into the distance and having just learned about the Big Bang Theory, wonder like, why is there something instead of nothing? So my little mind tried to wrap around what would nothing be like? Prusa found that for her, art was the best medium to express how she interprets the world. Art was so completely free. You didn't have to answer to anything outside of itself. You didn't have to be logical in anything except for within the piece itself. You had to have a structure that made sense to the world that you created. Prusa is a professor of painting and drawing in Florida Atlantic University's Department of Visual Arts and Art History. Her artwork spans from silver point drawings to sculpture and has been featured in galleries and museums across the globe. And Professor Prusa is our guest for this edition of In Conversation. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, this interview was conducted via WebEx in April of 2020. Welcome, Professor Prusa, to this special taping of In Conversation, which we're doing under the restraints of the COVID-19 crisis. We're usually in the FAU studio producing this podcast, but today, through the magic of WebEx technology, we're going to keep going with our tradition of the podcast and do this remotely. I want to thank Dr. Kevin Petrick and his whole crew for continuing to produce the show, even under these very difficult circumstances. So I want to start out asking, how are you holding up during this pandemic? I thank you, first of all, for inviting me to talk with you today. I'm really appreciative of this exchange, but I am super well suited. In fact, I've learned my superpower is social isolation. You know, so I think most artists are rather like that. So having the time just to be really dedicated and look in my studio and think more deeply has been invaluable. Uh, though I appreciate it, it's hard on many other people. And you're on sabbatical this year, correct? I am. Yeah, it's managed to cancel a number of things, which is, you know, you can always see the good in everything that happens. So you, you suck in this initial disappointment that something's been canceled or postponed, and then you realize it opens up time to do something else. So I have been so fortunate to see your work exhibited at several prestigious venues here in South Florida. And your work, of course, is shown around the world. And I'm always struck by the unique quality of your paintings and drawings and sculptures. And I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. You, you seem to achieve this kind of otherworldliness. This is how I see it through your paintings that really transports me to, I don't know, faraway places, and yet many of the images are also familiar, given the connection to celestial bodies, etc., that we all kind of know from life on Earth. Your art is also so fused with scientific knowledge and, and with scientific questions, it seems to me. So I'm just curious, how did you come to this place of exploration of these spaces and themes through your artwork? Well, I'm really happy you used the word otherworldly. Because I think that each artwork I make is a world, and it's a world that's sustained by its own logic. It doesn't have to answer to anything outside itself. 
So each world I make is based on research that I do, but what the precipitating a set of events were, two primary events. In my childhood, when I was in sixth grade, I would look out the window way into the distance and having just learned about the Big Bang Theory, wonder like, why is there something instead of nothing? So my little mind tried to wrap around what would nothing be like? And I would contemplate the world and slowly get rid of things to try to get to nothing that I always remained. And so then from that experience, I learned that I was the locus of everything. You know, all perception went through me and all that I would know would be through me. But that led me to chemistry because I thought in chemistry, I would be able to understand what things were. And titrating in a lab made sense to me. But then I met an artist and she thought it completely different than me. And this is at the University of Illinois. And I thought, how could I be an educated person and not know how an artist thinks? So I must take an art class to figure this out, learn that there's different ways of thinking and that art was so completely free. You didn't have to be logical in anything except for within the piece itself. You had to have a structure that made sense to the world that you created. And then I was reading about lots of different cosmologies. So between poems, novels, and uh, astrophysicists, you know, I sort of started this long journey of sorting out what I believe. It's so exciting to think how many different disciplines you just named that inform your work. So I was wondering before we go on, if you could, we could just take a moment for you to describe for our listeners your technique, which is, I understand, is known as the silver point technique. And perhaps you just kind of describe it for us and then comment on the use of the materials that you use, because it seems that you use really unique materials. Most painters, I guess, use canvas and paints, but you seem to use really unique um, materials to create the amazing works of art. Well, I'm trained in the historic materials and methods of painting. I've worked with great practitioners of icon painting and a tempera and caustic watercolor. So that, that really was my strong suit coming into the position I have at FAU. But wonderfully at FAU, I was given the opportunity to teach in Florence, Italy one summer through their summer abroad program. And when I was with the students there and we're doing drawing, I'm like, I can walk into the local art material store called Zecchi and buy silver point. So I decided we would just all do silver point. And so we were going around drawing all the statues in the squares in silver point. And it was a marvelous experience. And when I got home, I realized I had fallen in love with silver point. Plus, you could go to the Uffizi and see actual silver points, metal point by Michelangelo and da Vinci and, and many others. So it was the most amazing experience and really enriched my life. So then how can I employ this in my work and make it my own? Uh, which is how, you know, my work evolved to the point it is because silver point isn't fugitive. It doesn't fade. Also, it doesn't lift up. So what it is, it's just a long, thin silver wire of deadened steel, silver, and you put it in a pen holder, just like you might lead, and you draw with it. The ground has to have a certain abrasive quality to grab the metal so that it works effectively, but that's easily obtained by putting, um, say, a thin wash of acrylic gesso or a, a casein paint or a white wash or a rabbit skin glue and calcium carbonate. So um, that also kind of fed into my love of historic materials and methods. To make it my own, I had to combine it with other strategies that were more contemporary for art making. And at the time, too, being in Florence, I was seeing these amazing domes. 
and thinking, how could anybody make art that was beyond that? How could you go and be an artist after seeing that? And domes were like the download of everything that was known at that moment about the whole universe and the artist put it out as fully as possible. So I took that as my charge then to have to communicate as fully as possible how I understand the world and articulate it as beautifully as possible using the strongest craft I could come up with, but integrating contemporary strategies with these historic materials and methods. I would invite our listeners to, uh, if they haven't seen your work in person, which there's nothing to replace that experience, but uh, if you Google Carol Prusa, you will see uh, photographs of her work at least give you an idea of what we're discussing here today. So let's talk a little more philosophically. You, you obviously have a very strong philosophical foundation to the work that you're producing, at least the last few years that I've seen. And I found a sense in one of your artist statements, just really compelling and also eerily uh, relevant to today's struggle with planetary mortality that we're living through with the COVID so I'd just like to read the sentence, and then maybe we could talk a little bit about it and how it has really guided you in, in the creative work. You say, you wrote, and I quote, My darkly lit worlds distill disquieting possibilities brought to mind by recent observations of Higgs boson, the metatestable God particle in physics that might instantaneously blip us out of existence as well as the eruptive political and environmental events that we're living through. And these fill my mind with dread. I yearn to realize a radical vision that takes into account chaotic interactions central to the evolution of the universe to unearth its vital beauty, end quote. Very poetic, uh, yet at the same time expressive of, I think, certain anxieties about our existence on Earth, and in this, what you described earlier as the contest between somethingness and nothingness, right? I wondered if you could talk through that a little bit, and especially the, the God particle piece in physics and how that relates back to your work. For many years, I've been reading a lot of wisdom traditions to try to read their theories of everything or how they describe the universe they live in and what they believe that they are. And but found more compelling what the physicists were writing, the theories that they were coming up with which were really just as metaphorically imagined or summoned as, as anything else. But the one that, that really has still had held firm is the Big Bang. And so if you look at how did we come to be anything, there was nothing and now there's something, that was the Big Bang. That singularity made everything and we're all tethered to it, which then by definition means we're all interconnected, which is a very beautiful thing. So the thing, we all came from one source and we're all going to go back to one source and nothing is separate from another thing. So if you envision the whole world that way, the interconnectedness of everything, it's incredibly fun and generous. And when you accept that, there's something beautiful in, in all of life because then you know that what is can be something else. And I don't then feel very precious about any kind of local time or existence although I feel politically responsible for making sure in the current time scale that I act responsibly, but that, that the universe is so much more than that. You know, also the idea that there's many worlds that we live in and we just pop from one to the next to the next so we can live every possibility. 
So any bad possibility that's unfolding, you could say maybe tongue in cheek that, well, I'll just choose to, to live another possibility. You are only the sum set of your own beliefs and experiences, and it could be otherwise. And then you don't get too uptight about things that might happen because they could become something else. And the beauty that comes out of that is, is extraordinary. So transitioning a little bit from that, your most recent show that I got to see was at the Boca Raton Art Museum that got incredible reviews, by the way, that featured female astronomers that you were honoring through your work. Could you tell us a little bit more about that show and those amazing female astronomers who really didn't get the attention they deserved back in the day? Well, I like amateur astronomy a great deal. So I was always interested in astrophysics primarily and started reading about the life of a number of people. And I had gone to visit CERN in Switzerland and take the tour. And, you know, there's like all these things that sort of percolated and added up and put me down this road to reading about Mariah Mitchell, who is the mother of American astronomy. And she uh, taught at Vassar and, and was influential in Smith. And she taught many of the luminaries that have gone on to this day, like Vera Rubin, who recently died. And Vera Rubin was, did the pioneering research in dark energy. The stories of these amazing women is pretty incredible. And so there's one particular book that talks about the Harvard computers. Pickering was the head of the Harvard Observatory needed to have a lot of these glass plates that were coming in from all around the world with observations. He needed to have them analyzed and he didn't have a big budget, no research budget. What can he do? Oh, let's hire all those amazing, well-educated women out there who don't have jobs because they weren't hireable because of their gender. So he hired them at low wage and they had the diligence and the vision to not only collect the data and analyze it, but see beyond it and start to make foundational principles of how do we understand distances of stars. And I don't know if you ever thought when you were a little kid, like, how do you know how far a star is? But, you know, if you stop to try to figure it out, it's not an easy thing. And these women were doing that in, in the most beautiful organic ways. Also, they weren't precious about their information. They shared it openly amongst themselves. And between all of them, they were able to flesh out the star classification system and beyond. It's, it's truly incredible. And so how did you translate that history into your work? Right. Well, I loved reading their research. I loved reading about them. What was hard was narrowing it down to the women I would honor specifically. What I, I do in my work, I don't illustrate their research. I honor them and their research by creating an image and form that references a feeling tone of my understanding of who they are and what they did. And so the work is really meant to honor them, to raise their name up, and also to incite some curiosity about their lives. So I want to bring this back to FAU for a moment. You've been, of course, teaching in the visual art and art history department for a number of years. And I think your primary uh, teaching is in, in painting, correct? Correct. Um, and I'm just curious, do you ever get science students or astronomers come over and take your, your classes? Because it seems like you have such a, this incredible integration of scientific knowledge and history in your own work. And I'm just curious if we've, we've had any kind of cross-college collaboration in that area. Right. 
I have had a few students over the years who have come um, biology, mostly medical students. I really haven't had any physicists, uh, although the FAU high school has sent over people who are really STEM focused, but wanted to add a little art into that. But right now, I'm actually collaborating with Professor Rainer Saiwanch, who's the chair of mathematics, and we're doing an etching print together. So it's an interesting conversation because his arena is quantum computing and security. And I'm interested in quantum entanglement. So both of our interests overlap in entanglement and this idea that you can have this, this idea of a particle that's infinitely far from another particle and yet they communicate, right? Faster than the speed of, of sound, which is the spooky action at a distance that Einstein wrote about. And so you're co-creating uh, work together? Well, because of COVID, you know, we've had to do it a little less physically collaboratively and more interacting with each other by each of us are creating a copper plate etching and they'll be printed one on top of the other. When our two worlds come together and interact, then we will decide what the third plate should be. And so the print will have three plates that describe our um, understanding of entanglement. Wow, that's fascinating. I can't wait to see that. I hope you will premiere it nearby so we all get to see it here. In it's going to be in the printmaking show, I hope, in the spring that FAU is putting on. Yes, because Spivey Ground Printmaking is printing the edition through a grant I got from the college. So I really appreciate the college because the college and offering those grants to faculty has enabled me to investigate areas that I knew nothing about. And they've opened up really fresh arenas for me to download how I think about things. So you, you mentioned that you'll be exhibiting in our printmaking show at FAU in the spring of 2021. Do you have any other exhibitions going on in the near future we should attend? Well, I will have a show, a solo exhibition in Ann Norton Sculpture Garden and Museum in the fall, opening up at the end of September. I think it's September 30th. I'm still making work. I, I have to tell you, I had some um, shows lined up and they were canceled because of what's going on. Certainly art centers and small museums are gonna, um, they lose all their state and local funding and they can't function. But I'm in an online show that's gonna produce also a book of international artists who are responding to the pandemic. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to seeing your work uh, wherever it appears in the near future. So thank you, Carol Prusa, for joining me in conversation this afternoon. Thank you, Dean Horswell. I really appreciate it. Having the time to talk to another person. You've been listening to Professor Carol Prusa and Dean Michael Horswell of FAU's Dorothy F. Schmidt College of Arts and Letters in Conversation. They were recorded in April of 2020. In Conversation is a production of FAU School of Communication and Multimedia Studies. I'm Max Maldonado. All of us thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for another edition of In Conversation. But until then, stay safe and stay healthy.